Hi, thanks for joining us for this message from Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. We pray that you are blessed by it. If you'd like to know more about Red Church and its ministries, or if you'd like to support us financially, you can find out more by heading to redchurch.org.au. Well, good morning. Is is this a long weekend? I'm not sure. It's sort of a quasi-long weekend. I have known some people who have gone away, so... Happy quasi-long weekend to you. My name is Mark, and uh, we're in week two of a series that we're using to kick off the beginning of the year. And this series is called Following is Focus. And in week one, start, we started last week, uh, we looked at the story that we find in the Gospels, where Jesus calls the fishermen who become his disciples, or some of whom have become his disciples, to follow him, to become fishers of people. And we talked about the fact that following Jesus is a kind of focus, that in saying yes to Jesus, the disciples had to focus their attention in upon him. And so in this series, we're looking at the concept of focus and how it relates to following And what we'll discover as we go in this series is that focus has so much more meaning than perhaps we would pick up on just a surface reading. So last week we looked at the story of Jesus calling the disciples to follow him. But I want to continue with scripture, looking at this idea of focusing upon Jesus. And to do that, we're actually going to begin with the scripture from the book of Hebrews in chapter 12. And we're going to look at uh, verses 1 to 2. So I'm going to read this for us. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that is so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And this is the point where I apply my giant highlighter. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now we're going to dig into this more, but before we move on, I just wanted to talk about why we're going to do what we're going to do today. Now, one of the words that you're going to pick up in this series is the word focal. It's a derivative of focus. And the term focal uh, is used often to describe a life where people choose to live in a much more deliberate and focused way. As we're going to find out, living today is increasingly distracted. So the idea of focal living is choosing to live in a particular way which is more focused. Now, next week... Britt is going to share, and she's going to talk about some practical ways. She's going to talk and dig into the concept of what it is to live focally. But before we did that, I thought it'd be really important to dig deeper into the concepts of focus because I've noticed something about this topic. You do not have to convince people that we feel more and more distracted. It's not an argument you have to have with people. I've not met with anyone who has said to me, I feel life in the 21st century is just increasingly focused and we're less and less distracted. 
Everyone feels more torn apart. Their attention is everywhere. The actual attention span of adults is shrinking. Apparently 10 years ago, it was something like 12 minutes. Now it's five minutes. And that's adults. That's not talking about kids. We live in a world in which people struggle to place their attention upon things. So when you dig into a topic like this and you talk about something like focal living, living with a focus, this is hugely attractive to us. About six, seven years ago, we did a series on a book called Living Into Focus by Arthur Bors, where he applies the concept of focal living and faith and people absolutely loved it. We created a, a bit of a sort of like thing to run alongside of it, all different practices where you could spend time doing kinds of focal activities. We did it in the midst of winter and people went mad for it. People got around and knitted and, and sat around fires and had board games and did all these things which are almost counterintuitive to the direction of the world today. If you look at magazines and, and, and lifestyle books, there's all these hacks and tips around how it is to live more focally. I think we experienced this at a mass scale in the last couple of years when the pandemic came along. And all of a sudden, many of the distractions seemed to disappear, particularly in 2020. There was a lot of focal activities just picked up all across the culture, things like baking of sourdough bread, a focal activity. Uh, where you take this thing, the, this sort of living yeasty entity, is it called the mother? The alien creature which births sourdough bread. And people went crazy. The lifestyle pages of the paper were filled with stories of people slowing down, walking. And all of a sudden the whole culture became focal. But what's interesting is how quickly this stuff has dropped off again. Some people have continued with some of these habits and some people made some definite beneficial life changes. But I really felt it was important to dig deeper than just the surface behavior management. Because we can change behaviors, but very quickly they won't stick. And this can become a series which is just about lifestyle hacks. So I wanted to dig deeper into the biblical meaning behind these ideas. And to do that, I just want to begin really simply with the definition of asking, what is the question? What is focus? What is focus? Well, focus is an absolutely essential skill which enables us to flourish as human beings. You could say it's, it's a superpower to have this ability to focus. Why? Well, focus enables us to concentrate our efforts in one place. And if we're going to change things, if we're going to better the world, if we're going to better ourselves, being able to focus your activities in one place is absolutely essential. You cannot build a bridge which enables perhaps two towns to do commerce with each other. You cannot build a building like this, an internet network, a food supply chain, a community center without the skill of focus. And focus, really, what it does is it enables us to apply the principle of leverage. The ancient Greek mathematician Archimedes wrote, give me to place a place to stand on and I will move the earth. And what he was saying was there is this principle in human life that if we focus in the right spot, we can affect tremendous change. 
So if you want to change things for the better, personally or corporately, you have to know how to focus. So the first thing is, what is focus? Focus enables us to concentrate our efforts in one place. Now the second thing, and this seems really obvious, but it's worth digging into, is that focus is attention. Focus is attention. We need to be attentive of what is before us. Being attentive enables you to see the lie of the land, to get a, a reading on the map, to understand where you are. In his book on focus, the psychologist Daniel Goleman notes that we need sort of two kinds of attentions. First of all, we need an inner attention where we're attentive to what is going on inside of us, our emotions, our state of mind. We need to understand whether we're tired or filled with energy. We need to understand whether we're frustrated, angry, or content and relaxed. People who often get into serious social difficulties are people who lack that attentiveness to what's going on inside. The person who all of a sudden explodes over something. Often watching amateur sports from the sidelines, or perhaps playing, or perhaps experiencing it yourself, you will notice that an explosion of anger over a bad call by the referee is rarely about the bad call by the referee. Often it's an overflow of stuff that's going on inside of us. This can happen in workplaces. This can happen in relationships. When we have that attentiveness to what's going on inside of us, it enables us to generate things. Our self-awareness can then flow into things like compassion, understanding where others are coming from, the understanding to understand, so the ability to understand our limits and strengths, what we're good at, what we're bad at, is absolutely key. Secondly, Goldman says it's also important to have outside attention, attention to the bigger picture. It's all well and good being attentive to what's going on inside of you, but we live in a world which is increasingly interconnected, and then we have to study the big picture. What are the big themes happening in the world? We need attentiveness to ourselves, but we need to understand the relationship of ourselves to the bigger world, how the world and its systems and seasons work. Attention, focus is essential if we're going to place ourselves in the world. Lastly, the thing I want to note is that focus is presence. Focus is presence. To focus upon something requires us to linger. Think about a butterfly that may stop for a moment on a blade of grass. For us to study that butterfly, to see the patterns on its wings, to take in its size, the way it moves, the way it acts. You can't do that fleetingly with just a quick glance of the head. To actually focus on something, you have to stay physically in place. And this staying physically in place is un underrated. It is an absolute essential thing to being a human being. See, focus, seeing focus as presence, is a key skill which enables relationships to grow, communities to establish and flourish. 
projects to be moved to completion. It enables cooperation and advancement to occur. I recently read an article about Palm Springs, which is a sort of city in the desert. It's a resort town in California. It's really famous because it's, it was you know, really popular in the 1950s and 60s, and people like Sinatra used to go on holiday there. And so the architecture is this incredible mid-century uh, architecture, and people are mid-century uh, arch- uh, architect freaks, um, perhaps like my wife, um, uh, know about Palm Springs. And so people go there. It's become this thing. But what's happened is people have been began buying up houses in Palm Springs, not to move there and live there and enjoy the architecture. They know that it's a cool hit place to go on holiday. So what's been happening is a significantly huge amount of the properties in Palm Springs have been bought by investors and are rented out as Airbnb properties which means that people come and they don't linger. It's an unfocused kind of living. And so once you just have people who are only there for a handful of days to come and walk around and look at the buildings of Palm Springs, this has a devastating effect upon the community cohesion of a place like that. Community things that we love, like people get together to ensure that parks are clean, Clubs, Meals on Wheels, all of these things cannot happen when people don't linger in place. You cannot develop deep relationships, the kind of which we now know are one of the key reasons humans live long when they have key relationships around them. You cannot build them without a focus of presence. So focus moves us beyond ourselves and our desires in the moment. And through making us physically stay in place, it unlocks something really quite magical. However, there is this sense that focus can be lost. Focus can be easily lost. And I think all of us sense at a personal and corporate level that focus is disappearing. So what comes against focus then? What comes against focus, the opposite of focus is distraction. Distraction is the enemy of focus. And distraction really comes powerfully in two forms. We rarely go out of our way premeditatively to be distracted. We become distracted without meaning to and often regret our distraction. So the two ways this happens is the first one is sensory distractions. I was very aware of this as I was writing this sermon. And the moment I was writing this sermon is Friday. And in the office on Friday, there's less people work. People take the Friday, uh, I take the Monday. And so normally it's beautiful and quiet, perfect day for having no distractions and focusing with lingering presence upon the preparation of my sermon. However, This Friday aligned with a lingering presence of the guy who comes and does our launch. And he was carrying one of the 21st century's most deadliest weapons of mass distraction, the whippersnipper, and doing all of the edges. And there is something, I think the whipper, I've got three most distracting sounds. I think whippersnippers are one really close to, to you. The second one, both, the second two, both were nearby to when the house I grew up in. Behind us, we had a plumbing business, which I think plumbing, 
That's not that bad. Yes, it is when you're cutting pipes uh, with a sort of angle grinder, however they did it, and like metal pipes. I don't know what they were doing. I just know it sounded like banshees dying <laughs> just behind our back fence. Across the other side of the road was the other sound, which was uh, a, a, a motorcycle shop which seemed to primarily deal in dirt bikes with muffler problems. <laughs> so <laughs> pipes being cut and dirt bikes with mufflers too. We don't even, I don't think they even had mufflers. Happened to be some of the most sensory, distracting things that you can hear. Maybe you've experienced this when you're trying to study and your stomach is rumbling or you want to concentrate on something, but you're falling asleep. You're trying to watch a movie, but there's people talking in front of you. But our world uses sensory distractions all around us. This is when you're hungry and you're trying to be good. The ads for KFC, shut up and take my money, don't come until the exact moment when most people in Melbourne are feeling really hungry and should be buying their dinner. These things are targeted towards us to get us distracted. So sensory distractions are the first one, but the most powerful are actually emotional distractions. When your emotions are hijacked by something. Imagine you're about to give a big talk at work and you're so focused upon this. This is a key report that you have to present. Everything is riding on the line. But then you hear devastating personal news. Perhaps you see some people up the back and you think, are they talking about me? And all of a sudden, all of your efforts and days of preparation go out the window as your emotions are hijacked, your fears, your worries, bad news, whatever it may be, we can be easily emotionally distracted. And you see this all across our world today. Again, talked about the KFC ad, I don't care, but there's also other ads that may come on, the cute baby at the moment when many people are longing for connection, the Actually, there's a term for it I discovered. It's called an empathy trigger on social media. The image of a crying child, a person in distress, someone telling their personal side of the story. All of these things are little emotional triggers designed to hook us. Now, these distractions actually can have a positive purpose. There's no use focusing intently upon a work report while the sensory distraction of smoke and the visual of fire surrounds you. And as fear and terror fill your stomach, there's no point just keep on focusing at that point. These are positive things which are telling you to run and get the heck out of there. But in our age, these things are actually continually used against us. We are constantly used with the stimuli of sensory and emotional distractions to connect with us, to get our desires connected to things that we didn't want them to be connected to. And what this means is a lack of focus undermines us as human beings. It undermines our potential to build healthy relationships. It undermines a sense of community. It undermines our projects. It undermines our health. And it undermines our creativity. Creativity is born of boredom. Yet boredom today is something we hate. So this is bigger than just learning to slow down. Sourdough is great, I like eating it, if you make it, all power to you. But if we simply come from this going, go and make sourdough and look at your phone less, we're actually missing something profound and deep. 
This is actually about losing our humanity. This is actually about an undoing of God's plan for us as human beings created in his image. And one metaphor that I picked up reading this really captured me of what this is doing to us. If focus is concentrating our efforts in one place, you can cut through concrete with a a hard enough jet of water if it's completely concentrated in one place. People coming together can do incredible things with a focus. When we're present, when we're lingering, we can achieve incredible things. Yet what the world does to us, when our stimuli is all around us and our attention is nowhere and we're just looking everywhere, never lingering, never focusing, never really present, never applying for a too long, you know, for long enough a time to change anything, the image that I realize I think happens is we're diffused. What a diffuse is, is instead of focus, it's just spraying. And the image I, I began to think about was that of vapor, a mist. It's sort of pleasant for a second. It's, oh, that's lovely. <laughs> but for a second now it's gone. I don't feel it anymore. It's not like the spray. I was going to get someone up here and spray them in the face, but just I'm too kind. Uh, if you go the other way, I think there's a spray. Look, oh, we're getting there. See? The spray goes distances. You wouldn't want to be sprayed with that. Sorry, grand piano. (laughs) But a spray is something which is just there for a moment. You can see it. It's powerless. It's sort of nice. But then it disappears. And I wonder if this is what's going to actually be the legacy of much of our culture. Sadly, of many people. Yeah, nice. There for a second. Sprayed and disappeared. This diffused life where we're atomized, no longer connecting, no longer present, no longer lingering, and just there for a moment and it disappears. And what's interesting is that this image of mist, of vapor, of diffusion is actually one that the scriptures use. The book of Ecclesiastes describes a negative life in this way, in chapter 6, verse 4. I've actually got the Hebrew word in here because it's really key to understand the Hebrew word here. It says, speaking of a a negative life, it says it comes with heval, is how that word is pronounced, heval, which means vaporous. It also means vain. And vain, yes, in the arrogant, vain way, but also like a life lived in vain. It means empty. So it comes with heval, meaning. It departs in darkness. And in darkness, its name is shrouded. That's because it's a nothing. It's just here for a second and disappears. It's like a cloud that is ultimately meaningless. And it's interesting, when you understand the Hebrew, the reason I put the Hebrew up there is because there's actually a hyperlink back to an earlier story. The name Hival is actually the name of one of the sons of Adam and Eve, known in English as Abel. Cain and Abel. And Abel is killed. His life is just there for a moment. And so when this play on words occurs in the scriptures, what this is saying to us is this kind of life, it's like the life of Abel is just here for a moment, is killed. We don't know much from him. It talks about in the scriptures, his blood crying out from the ground. His life is ephemeral. It's passing. It's ultimately tragic. James in the New Testament, picks up on this concept of a fleeting mist, playing also on this reference in Ecclesiastes. 
In James chapter 4, verses 13 to 14, he says this, Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why? You do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And what James is talking about here is a life without God is simply this. All our grand plans of going and building a business, going to that city, traveling, experiencing, making money, doing all this stuff, a pleasant little cloud gone in a millisecond. When we live lives reduced to to a mist, when we lived unfocused lives which turn us into vapor, we cannot build in this world. And what this means spiritually is we cannot build towards the kingdom. Jesus comes and after he calls the disciples, he begins a ministry of announcing the kingdom. Now, this kingdom is not a kingdom like the kingdom of Herod, the king that was at the time when, when Jesus was proclaiming his ministry. Herod was a massive builder. He built stuff everywhere, which in a sense was compensating for his lack of spiritual authority. And Jesus was calling the people of God to build a kingdom, but it's not a kingdom that's built with stone everywhere, with giant vast palaces, but it was a kingdom where people linger. It's a kingdom where people were present. To be a disciple is actually to live with a focus. And through doing this, the kingdom of God is advanced and built. So when we live as myths, when we follow the life script of our culture, we sacrifice the fulfillment of the kingdom of God for the fleeting and meaningless stimulation in the moment. Now this word, heval, or mist, or vapor, also appears in another place in the Old Testament, Jeremiah the prophet, in chapter 16, verse 19, says this, Lord, my strength and my fortress, my refuge in times of distress, to you the nations, that's the nations surrounding Israel, will come from the ends of the earth and say, our ancestors possessed nothing but false gods, heval, vapor, idols that did them no good. Now, what he's saying is that the life script of these other nations, they had these ideologies, they had these things that were doing, but ultimately they've passed. These nations then go and lie in ruin because actually what they were worshipping, what they placed at the center of their culture was heval. It was mist, vapor, vain and empty. And really interesting, this concept of idols you see in the Old Testament, often the Old Testament speaks of idols made of stone or wood. And if you've got an idol that's made of stone or wood, you can see it, it's there. Often they were imaged as a figure, done as a combination of animals and humans or whatever. But you could see it, it was defined. But really what Jeremiah is hinting at is another kind of idol. That's the idol made of stone or wood. But he's hinting at another kind of idol, a kind of mist, a heval, which is like a shapeshifter, which changes to suit our inner desires constantly transforming and drawing us in. Wood and stone is fixed, it's shaped once. But I think our modern 21st century form of idolatry in the West is actually a mist which shapes to suit our desires. But the way of the kingdom of God that we're called to is a very different way. To follow Jesus is to make him the focus of our lives. What does this look like in a world where we're constantly encouraged, the very structure of the world distracts us to a kind of vaporous living? 
Well, I think there's like three key things I want to drill into. And these are essentials before we move on to some more of the practicalities next week. Hebrews 12, verse 1, which we read at the beginning, in the middle, the hinge of that verse is to fix our eyes on Jesus. And this illuminates the truth. Focus is worship. Focus is worship. Now, focus and attention changes the power balance. When I'm rocking around and there's a bus with an ad on the side or I'm walking around in a city and I'm looking at different things or I'm channel surfing, I'm at a party and seeing who I want to talk to, whoever is the most interesting person or choosing what party I want to go to or shopping in a store, there's very clearly a power balance. I am in control. It is all about me. I am the protagonist in my life movie. And that's how we're encouraged to live. Ironically, it actually ultimately upsets the power balance away from us because we get exploited. But the center of distracted stimuli living, where we're just torn apart by following and diffused into a sign of lack of focus by pursuing these shape-shifting idols, is the opposite of what worship is. Worship changes the power balance to the way that God created it. When we choose to focus upon God, to adore him in worship, to place him at the center, we again move the center of power away from ourselves and we place it back on God. Focus and attention changes the power balance and it moves it from being human-centered to God-centered. And even when we begin to worship, we can begin to worship by enjoying worship often at the start because it does something for us. But I think the journey of worship is ultimately moving to, we come to worship not for us, but for God. So worship is focusing deliberately upon Jesus and putting aside all else. Focus is worship. The second thing though is we hear that and go, yes, I want that. I see that. I need that in an age where we've been reduced to a kind of mist. And we see the spiritual need for that in our lives. The second thing is we've been formed by the world of mist. So it's really key to understand the second principle, that focus requires patience. Focus requires patience. It moves us from an addiction to constant stimulation. An addiction to constant stimulation. It moves us from that to a kind of holy contemplation, a meditation, a chewing over that vision we see all through the Old Testament of someone chewing and meditating upon God. One of the most frustrating things and trends as someone that writes books that I've encountered in the last few years, it didn't happen 10 years ago, but I get it more and more, is I'll speak somewhere and someone will come up and go, oh, hi, so you're the guy who wrote some books, yes. Um, not a reader, don't have time for it. Uh, can you just give me a summary, like a one-pager? Just, just give me a summary. Uh, or, I'm a reader, have you just got a short like, podcast of like 20 minutes that I can use at the gym? Because uh, I want to get the essence of your book, but I don't want to read it. That's where I have to have self-attention to my own anger inside. 
And really what those people are saying is, I want the good stuff, but I don't want to go on the journey. I don't want to focus. I don't want to linger. If I just felt God called me to write an idea, and sometimes I do, I just write an idea down, I put them up online or something, or you can write a tweet. But you write a book because you want to take people on a journey. You want to teach them something. There's actually a process that you go on. And what's interesting is, before encouraging us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the writer of Hebrews tells us in 12 verse 1, to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. So to come to attention is to switch out instant stimulation for holy focus. Now, interesting, the, the, the word used in Hebrews for fixing our eyes upon Jesus is actually a four-rower, a four-rower. And what this means is not just fixing our eyes on Jesus. What it means is twofold. There's two actions to this word, a four-rower. The first part is to take them off something and then put them onto something else. So it's not just fix your eyes at stage two. Stage one is to take your eyes away from other things and to fix them on something. And this changes something within us. Our attention is moved from the carnal, the physical, that which is away from God. Not just physical, that's probably the wrong term. The stuff that goes against God to the spiritual, from the temporal to the eternal. We're aligned with our original calling to be worshippers of God, fully focused upon him. It's interesting, the origins of the word religion come from the Latin word relegare, which means to take note or to carefully go over something. You can't worship fleetingly. Nicholas Malbranche said, attention is the natural prayer of the soul. So if we're going to do this, we're going to have patience. You've got to stay. You've got to linger. You've got to be physically present. You can't worship fleetingly. You can't knock it out in a couple of minutes. This requires patience, and we've not been taught by a world to be patient. It's a world of instant delivery. So this then flows into the last point. Attention requires an apprenticeship. Attention or focus requires an apprenticeship. What are the people coming out to me saying, have you just got like a 50-word summary or one page of your book? It's like, I want the goodies, but I don't want to go on the apprenticeship. To learn essential knowledge, wisdom, stuff which really changes your life, so often you can't just Google that. There's not just a WikiHow article on how to do that. There might be a WikiHow article on how to floss your teeth, which you can look up, brilliant, great, how to change a tire, fantastic. Just Google it as you stand by the side of the road in the rain. But to learn key information which changes your life, it requires an apprenticeship. The writer of Hebrews writes, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Attention requires perseverance. It cuts across our flesh. Because when you sit and you try and focus on something, people will go from here and you will go, all right, I'm going to pray, I'm going to worship, and you'll go and do it. This happens to me, this happens to everyone, and you'll sit and you'll focus upon something, but then what you'll find is all of a sudden you're thinking about something else. There'll be a loud noise somewhere. Your desires will be driven to something else. To persevere is essential to focusing. 
and it cuts across our flesh. And the word flesh there, I'm not, don't mean just our bodies. I'm actually using a Greek word that the scripture translates into, the English translation is into flesh, but it's actually the word sarks. Sarks are the part of us which goes against what God wants. And so focus costs, but the benefit is worth it. It's the way of the kingdom. It's saying a countercultural yes to the growth process and all it entails. The myth of our world is that you can have it all without any cost. But actually, following is focus. Following costs, but it's so worth it. And so I believe what God is asking us to do at this moment, at the beginning of 2023, is to pull back from the edge. There is a huge danger in our world. A culture which is unable to focus, a culture of mist, will vanish. We will have people that feel themselves vanishing, torn in a thousand directions. But that call that came that day when Andrew and Peter were beside the Sea of Galilee, that call to leave behind the nets, get out of the boat, to follow Jesus is a call to focus. And that's my prayer for us today. So I'm going to pray. Let's stand. And let's pray for that. God, we want to focus our eyes upon you. We want to run this race with perseverance. We recognize that something is being lost. And what we're doing here, coming together, focusing ourselves on you, what we're about to do in a moment of singing praises to you, worshiping you, this requires focus. This is more, we realize, than just a life hack, a skill that's needed for the 21st century. There is something fundamental about what it is to be human. And we realize that increasingly our, our lives are just becoming missed, our attention constantly distracted. We feel pulled in so many directions. We have so many opportunities and options before us. We realize this is costing us. So God, we want to say yes. We want to follow you. So just now we fix our eyes upon you. We place you at the center of our attention. I just pray that you'll just quieten for a moment the distractions. They may be external in the environment. They may be internal. And maybe that voice which constantly comes against us in negativity. Maybe the voice of accusation from the enemy. We pray, Father, in this moment, we may come actually into a silence before you. To hear your voice. To hear how much you love us. To hear how much you're calling us beyond a kind of vapor-like living, into a life of focus, of presence, of lingering with you. So we focus upon you now. We pray, Holy Spirit, do your work amongst us. Come amongst us. Help us to focus on you. Let's worship. 